0: everybody welcome to a new episode of ryan cinematic obsessions and today we're going to be talking about john carpenter's 1982 film the thing so today i'm joined by a good longtime friend sean also known as zaron on youtube on twitch on everything that has to do with the internet
1: sean how are you thank you for joining me today Greetings, everyone, and hello to you, Ryan. And you're very welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. I've actually been looking forward to this. Hello, (laughs) hello. hello. It's almost
0: like we just started talking. I know. We We haven't been talking for an hour already.
1: Not at all. Like, just mere seconds ago, I just popped on and we went straight into the show, like the couple of old pros we are.
0: Yes. (laughs) So, I approached you about wanting wanting you to be on the show for an episode and you kind of came up with the idea of talking about the thing a film Mm -hmm. that we both love Mm -hmm. and after you told me that i was like you know what that's going to be really epic because (laughs) sean is somebody who not only um loves these movies just as much as i do but can Mm -hmm. talk about them at great length and that is my that is um that is i don't know whenever i listen to (laughs) a, a podcast or watch a video that's those are the kind of things that i'm drawn to is yeah uh because anybody could do a review you know everybody has their own opinions about stuff but hearing the story about people how they get introduced to movies and all Mm -hmm. that to me that's just as interesting if not more interesting than Mm -hmm. sometimes the movies (laughs) but uh (laughs) if
1: if if it's a bad movie but um you get that personal touch which uh you know not not everybody does you know i mean it depends i mean different different people do different types of content some just want to talk about the movies so they just talk about the movies but then there's people like us that want to talk about the movies but we also want to talk about our love of those movies and what they mean to us and how we discovered them and just all this little anecdotal stuff um i get comments on my videos all the time saying that that's why people like my content in particular is because I add those little personal tidbits. It's also why my reviews tend to be like 20 to 47 minutes long um, or three 47 minute long parts. Because, uh, nope. I guess I have a lot to talk about, especially if it's one that I'm really passionate about, like the thing, for example.
0: Yeah. Um, that's, that's always what's drawn me to your videos and the fact that, um, you know, because I tend to not just watch videos; I actually listen to them as I'm driving, kind of mm. like a podcast. That's okay. kind of how I—that's mm-hmm. um, kind of how I do it. But I guess before we dig into this, I guess take a couple minutes and just explain to everybody. I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening knows who you are, but give us the. The story of the, of the Zarin Izerak.
1: <laughs> who are you? Who is this guy, and why should we care what he has to say about anything? Well, I mean, that's all entirely up to you. But as to who I am, uh, well, I'm Zarin Isaac. Uh, Sean McClain is my real name. Zarin Isaac is my stage name that I've been using <sighs> probably for about 30 years, basically since the dawn of the Internet. Um, the name comes from a role-playing game that I played with a friend of mine. I just literally needed a name for my character, Thought about it for about five minutes, and that's what I came up with. And I just kind of liked the vibe of it, so I kept it as my handle on all my online activities dating back to the 90s. Um, So I've been on YouTube since March of 2006, and in April of 2008, um, I started a show called The Multimedia Chronicles. Uh, basically because I tried to do several other things in the previous two years and none of them really panned out the way I had hoped. So I wanted some kind of solo project that I could do. And they, they say, do what you know. So one thing I know is collecting uh, and movies. Um, I've been collecting uh, movies and TV shows on home media uh, over since the days of VHS, going through Laserdisc and DVD and now Blu-ray and 4K um <clears throat> basically since the 80s when home video was still kind of a new thing I used to collect uh, the uh, individual episode volumes of the Transformers on VHS which was uh you know would run about twenty dollars for a single episode so you know real bargain so I gotta laugh and it's crazy how expensive <laughs> that stuff used to be. Oh, you get a movie. If you got a movie when it first came out on VHS, it would be like between 60 and 80 dollars on VHS. no extras, full screen, no widescreen just yeah but the reason they did that was because of the rental market at the time. So you know the rental places would gladly shell out 60 to 80 bucks because they'd make it back the first night in rentals you know so but if you're a collector, you could get them when they first came out. But otherwise, it was a good idea to wait a while until they came down to, like, you know, more reasonable 20 bucks or something. But uh, so anyway, I was collecting since those days. And um, so I started the Multimedia Chronicles in 2008, and they say, you know, do what you know. So that's what I did was I thought, well, why don't I just talk about collecting and movies and all the things that I'm passionate about collecting and stuff like that. So um, so yeah, so my show, uh, is, you know, similar to what Ryan does, is uh, I talk about uh, different things in my collection. Um, I, I, you know, might be big collector sets or or what have you. I do what that what I call closer look videos, where I talk about those. Um, I do movie reviews, where I talk about you know just a movie that I saw and give my thoughts on it, and usually with a personal twist, as we were mentioning earlier. Um, and things like that. I do—video games, and uh, I stream on Twitch just about every day. Uh, just kind of whatever I'm doing, or we just sit and chat about things, uh, you know, with fellow collectors and whatnot. So it's pretty, pretty casual. Talk about life, whatever. And uh, and that's basically it in a nutshell. I mean, basically, I've just always been a big movie, TV, animation, video game geek of all trades, collecting guy, um, and. You know, I've been doing a show about it on YouTube uh, for, what, 14 years now? <laughs> God, has since, it really been that since, long? Since it's, the dawn of YouTube. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, I've been there yeah. since the dawn of YouTube, but yeah. uh, Multimedia Chronicles started a couple of years later, but uh, but yeah, it's basically been there since the dawn of YouTube. I get, I get comments from people now saying, you know, they go back and watch an old video of mine leave a comment saying, wow, this is so nostalgic for me. I'm like, Wait, what? What? I've been doing this so long that people have literally grown up watching my videos. And now going back to my old ones is nostalgic mm-hmm. for them. Like, that just blows my mind. Or you get the com- or you get the comments like, you need to get a
0: better camera.
1: Oh, God. Yeah.
0: You're like, this video is 14 years old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have I since have, got I have, a better I, camera. I
0: have new content. You should check it out. <laughs>
1: Oh, or or where, where people fact check you on a video from 15 years ago well actually you were wrong when you said this it's actually this and this and this it's like yeah I I know i' I have since learned this in the 15 years since I did this video yeah <laughs> you' you
0: should change your name to Chriswell because you're wrong <laughs> <Deep cuts. laughs> playing nine from outer space yes. reference for those of you deep Wood. yeah Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's good to hear how you got your name. I actually never knew that. I think you've mentioned it in the past, but...
1: You know, um, a a little fun fact about that. Um, At the time when I came up with that name, um, I was actually recording all of my role-playing game sessions. So uh, I actually have the actual moment where I created that name. Like, you can almost hear the mental wheels turning. Um, And then the first ever utterance... Of the name Zaren In fact, I did a video about it. It's on my YouTube channel. It's called, What is a Zaren It's kind of <laughs> like when, uh, in the third episode of Seinfeld, when George comes up with Art Vandelay,
0: he goes, Art, Core Valet. And then he settles,
1: you're like, Zarin, you know what? I need to add a Iserac. Yeah, it was, I wanted something that sounded kind of magical and mystical and, and a little strange, uh, but also with lots of syllables. So that was, that was the idea.
0: Well, that's that's really smart. I mean, I didn't choose. I didn't choose my, my my uh, my stage name. My parents did, literally when I was born. Um, Mm. and so uh, yeah, I uh, I thought when I first started my YouTube channel, I went by R eighty seven, and I got, I was like, I'm basically telling people, just. A crappy email address that i have like yeah, pretty on. much yeah. it's, it's like in the early days of youtube when it was like film lover 82 abcd efg <laughs> right. coming at you with a new video but uh that's right so the thing the, the thing. thing so um when we were when you did a live stream like a week ago i kind of just started talking about in the chat like about mm, yes our future conversation about the thing, and we literally started for like 20 minutes talking about it, and we're like, we got to save this for our, <laughs> our series. But we said yeah. we are going to try to put in the thing into
1: the video or the the audio of this as much as possible. Well, I think I think that's almost inevitable. It, it happens every time wow. I talk about this movie. It's like, so the thing about the thing, and then da 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 da. da here's the thing, and. <laughs> You know, something. Yeah,
0: it's like you know, if you went to go see this in the theaters and you didn't, you forgot what it was called. Somebody be like, "What did you see?" Like, I saw that thing with uh, (laughs) Kurt Russell. One
1: thing, you know, that thing about the thing, the thing, the the thing. (laughs) So yeah, turn it into a drinking game if you like, folks. There's probably going to be a few of them. Uh, john carpenter's you may be you may what about his thing you may be dead (laughs) (laughs) by the time we're done but uh proceed at your own risk john carpenter's thing yes
0: so um without further ado i just wanted to go ahead and ask you sean yes what is your
1: thing (laughs) story what is my thing story well tell me
0: tell me about your thing
1: Tell me about, okay, well, the thing about my thing is, here's the thing. Um, That's three shots. Yeah. (laughs) You probably don't want to turn this into a drinking game. Anyway. We will um, get sued. We will get sued. (laughs) That was just a joke. Not to be meant to be taken seriously, to be, to be. Anyway, um, so I first heard about The Thing when it was coming to theaters. And the first sort of round of reviews came out. And um, I didn't really read the reviews. Um, I was 10 at the time. Now, I, I was able to read. I just didn't really read much. I just kind of skimmed, you know, what's what's this movie all about. So the first things I ever saw to do with the thing were the movie poster art, which was really striking to me. Um Painted by Drew Struzan, by the way, famous movie poster artist. And interesting sidetrack about that. Did you know he made that poster in one day? I saw
0: when he posted that video on his Twitter feed like a couple months ago. I was mm-hmm. like, "What?" I watched it and I was like, talk about just being gifted. <laughs> I know, like, right? <laughs> I mean, coming up with such an iconic yeah. image. I mean, because before I even knew the thing, yeah. I knew the poster. I yes. knew that. I was like, whoa, what is that? And yeah. he literally just, you know, I think, what was it, his assistant, or maybe it was his wife? I think it was his wife, actually, like, yeah. Yeah, that they, had the he, like, had suit. the idea. Yeah. Yeah, and he,
1: and she just took pictures of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically insane. him wearing the big parka. Well, and the thing is, like, he didn't even know really what the movie was about. I think they had some other artists they they were gonna go with originally, but that fell through for some reason. So they were kind of pressed for time. It's like, Drew, can you whip up a poster for us by tomorrow? And he's like, I'm on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so as they can't, what they just got the general gist of it, it's like it's the Antarctic research station. There's a monster and blah 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 blah. Uh, okay, cool. I'm good. He didn't have any reference photos. Normally, he has like tons of reference photos. I mean, you've seen his like Raiders of the Lost Ark posters and you yeah. know, those kinds of montages of of you know characters from the movie and stuff. Uh, he had nothing to work with, so he just did you know throw on the snowsuit, paint that, and make it look you know mysterious. And boy, did he ever just hit the mark with that. That was, it, it, as you say, it's such an iconic poster. Um, And when I saw that, it really resonated with me because I didn't know anything about this movie other than it was some kind of sci-fi horror movie. It was supposed to be really scary and have like crazy creature effects and stuff like that. So where I first heard about it was in sitting in the waiting room of a dentist's office. Now, I wasn't there to go to the dentist. No, no, there was a dentist who was a friend of my dad's who we used to... (laughs) visit from time to time so he was just there to shoot the shit with his friend i i used to just hang out in dentist offices when i was (laughs) young exactly so so of course i'm 10 i'm bored out of my mind it's a freaking dentist's office so uh so i just started flipping through the magazines and i picked up one was uh fairly current and there was a big article in it about the thing and it had uh a whole bunch of photos now the thing, if you know anything about the behind-the-scenes stories of that, um, John Carpenter was really adamant about keeping everything as hush-hush as possible. He didn't want any like, like excessive behind-the-scenes photos or videos or anything like that. He wanted to keep it kind of mysterious how they did all the creature effects. So for a long time, I had no idea how they did half the creature effects. <laughs> I was just like, it was true movie magic, as far as I was concerned. Like you can tell on some of them, it's like, okay, that's a model, yeah, that's a you know, that's a bit of stop motion or whatever. But most of the time, you're just you're staring at it in awe, like, how the frick did they do that? Like, it's just crazy. But anyway, so I and saw, just so you
0: know, this episode is going to be marked as explicit, so you could you could cuss as much as you want.
1: Oh, good, especially because <laughs> we, we got to say, uh, our favorite line of the movie, you know, you got to be fucking kidding, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'd rather not we don't... spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. Yeah, we,
0: we're we're going to do it. We're going to do a TV edit. And it's yeah, like, you know, that's right. let spend a whole winter tied to this really nice couch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, what's funny is on the, uh, uh, was it most of the Blu-rays now? Well, some of the Blu-rays, you can get uh, the TV cut of that and actually hear it with all the censorship. I like to refer to that as the thing minus the thing because yeah. it's so heavily they boast about how oh it has all this additional footage it's like yeah you had to put additional footage in because you cut out almost everything of the thing mm-hmm. <laughs> like every appearance of the thing you see so little of it it's almost like it's just this movie about 12 men in a research station yep. slowly going insane <laughs> and there might be a monster but we're not really sure <laughs>
0: It's more, it becomes more like a David Lynch. Like, is it really, is there really a monster? (laughs) Is it really there?
1: It's the David Lynch cut. There you go. Yeah. So (laughs) that's perfect. (laughs) So anyway, so I was looking at the, this, uh, article, welcome to my brain folks. And the gummies might be kicking in a little earlier than expected. Anyway, um, flipping through this magazine, looking at the pictures it had the poster and I was like, wow, that, that just really resonated with me. Um, so I thought, like, I kind of took it literally that the poster was the monster of the movie. That it was this this creature, this sort of hairy creature. I didn't see it as a parka. I saw it as, like, a hairy creature, like a, like a Sasquatch creature. Mm-hmm. And it would, like, shoot light out of its eyes or something. And, like, literally interpreting the poster. That it was, like, some laser beam face shooting furry creature. And that was it. But what kind of threw me off was, in addition to the poster, it did have a couple of the rare behind-the-scenes photos. I remember specifically two of them, which was... There was the shot, which is just a still from the movie, where there's a shot of MacReady at the Norwegian base looking down at the block of ice with the, the, where they carved the creature out of it. You know, that very iconic shot. It's yeah. where uh, It's from the po- kind of from the point of view of Doc when he comes down the hall. And he looks in and you see that wonderful, God, like just, just thinking, imagining yeah. that whole sequence in my mar- mind and how beautifully shot it is and, and and composed and how it goes from like the face of Doc, like kind of in shadow, looking looking kind of menacing himself in the light yeah. of the base. And then it kind of pulls, it goes backwards with him. And then it cuts to his POV coming out of the hallway into the uh, the chamber with the ice block. And it's just so perfectly framed and and set up where it just comes out of the hallway and looks down and you get this perfect framing of Mac looking down at the block of ice and seeing into the block of ice ourselves. Anyway, that's... Yeah, yeah. I definitely
0: (laughs) agree. Like, out of... I mean, and I love most of John Carpenter's stuff. Like, this Mm -hmm. is definitely, like, his... In my opinion, his, like, most beautiful-looking
1: movie. Like, every
0: shot... Yeah. For such a dark movie, yeah, it is like every single shot in this movie, like, like if you everything. buy a new house, yeah. everything could be framed. Every yeah. frame of the movie
1: could be in a picture
0: <laughs> frame, yeah,
1: on the wall. Pretty and, much, and uh, it's uh, it's like that every every uh, frame of painting. Um, and you look at you look at the staging and the the shot composition in all the group shots. I mean, because they're in very confined space in this base, and there's like twelve guys there often all in the same scene. And he somehow finds a way to get everybody in such a position that you're seeing the important bits that you need to see. And nothing is obscuring the view of anything you want to see, yet it's also just beautifully composed, like just rule of thirds out the ass. And, <laughs> and,
0: and, it, and it looks natural. It does. It's, it's yeah. like if they did that kind of a movie nowadays, like yeah. if, you know, you know, they'd probably go the superhero route to where everybody has to be in the same shot, like yeah. so they'd be it's all like right like, down a, the around, line, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's kind of like you know the how like the CW DC shows are where, or like the the NCIS shows are where they're mm-hmm. they're all they're all standing around the computer, yeah, and they're all like posed. <laughs>
1: like. <laughs> but it's great because it, it doesn't feel staged. It feels very natural and organic. Like there's a great yeah. great shot where uh, it's the scene where um, um, it's right after they discover the blood has been tampered with. And Windows kind of freaks out, and he takes off and runs down the hall. And they all go chasing down after him. And he, he's busting into the... He's trying to get the shotgun out and load it, but then everybody catches up to him before he manages to do it. And then Gary's got the gun pointed on him, and they're all crowded around. But, like, that whole sequence of, like, following Windows, like, just the slow zooming in on windows as he's like starting to lose it. And he's like, Oh my God. And he's just starting to back towards the door. And then he just bolts. And then the camera just chases after him. Everybody else bolts after him. So you have all this chaos going on in in a freaking corridor. Like how the hell do you even, where do you put the camera there? But he figured it out. So they chase him down the hallway, catch him at the end. And then they have this really like tense conversation between all of them. Gary's got the gun and, Windows has got the shotgun and Max trying to cool everybody out and Childs is about to punch somebody and it's just like and they're all right where they need to be. Like to have yep. all the interactions that need to happen in that scene. But not at any time does it feel unnatural because it's like just where everybody ended up after supposedly haphazardly chasing chaotically chasing Windows down the corridor is exactly where they need to be. It's like the
0: partnership between John Carpenter and Dean Cundy was un- like was just perfection
1: oh. well and the, whoever the I forget the editor's name the editor uh, was was talking about that in the documentary and he said uh actually the scene with windows is one that he cited was he said at no point during working on this film did i ever feel i was missing anything that i needed yeah i mean that you know that's just well i don't think they did any reshoots <laughs> no I think they might have done a couple on the back lot just because they needed a few uh, mat shots, but uh, but that was just you know out of necessity. But <laughs> but nothing like with uh, the whole group or anything like that. Like it was just Carpenter. I swear has the movie in his head the whole damn time, yeah. and just makes sure they shoot everything they need.
0: You know, kind of uh, like
1: to kind of get back to like
0: where we started about when you were talking about the poster. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I when I first saw the movie. Um, I always knew of the poster but going yeah. into it on DVD for the first time yeah I legitimately as well mm-hmm. because I hadn't seen like the uh the like what 2011 prequel oh thank god you didn't I, see that one yeah. first
1: <laughs> yeah I didn't see that I didn't
0: see any Good. I don't I didn't know anything about it <sighs> so I literally thought that that's what the villain looked like that's oh, what same the thing. thing looked like that's interesting yeah, yeah. and so the twist <laughs> with the dog yeah Freaked me the hell out because (laughs) I was like, okay, they're just showing the dog because he really loves this dog, you know? Like, so, um, (laughs) and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, he doesn't feel good. Oh, he did. Oh, whoa. He, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I was like, Oh my God. And so then I was like, okay, there's no, there's no, there's no turning back. This movie's insane.
1: Yes. Oh, I know. But, uh, well, as, as Clark puts it, when uh, he, everybody shows up and they're like, what is it? It's like, I don't know. It's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean. It's weird and pissed off. Well, that's a perfect description of the thing, yes. <laughs> it's weird. It's pissed off. But um, to get way back to where we were uh, before we went off on the tangent. Sorry, because every time I think of those, those shots – uh, I just can't help but talk about the cinematography and the staging and and everything, but so so there was two pictures, right? So there was the poster, there was the beautiful shot of the Norwegian base, and then the other shot was of uh, Rob. You might, you've probably seen this picture floating around; it's a fairly well-known picture now. Uh, Rob Bottin wearing like blood contacts and oh, fangs, yeah. and he's and he's like just like ah, looking like a yeah. madman. And he's holding up the the uh, like the uh, sculpture for split face, the split face uh, creature mm-hmm. that they find at the Norwegian base. So that was all I had to go on was the poster, something in the ice, um, you know, Antarctic, you know, research base, and um, you know, apparently the guy doing the effects is completely insane. and (laughs) and it didn't occur to me that the creature he was holding up was um the creature itself uh you know a a mid-transformation thing i had no idea about the shape-shifting or anything like that so again my my little kid brain putting it all together with all these pieces of information okay we got furry creature with with lasers coming out of his face we got bearded guy um with uh, you know, big block of ice and we got some kind of melting person. Maybe maybe that's a person that got melted with the monster's lasers. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened. So that's what I came up with. So then just the, all this imagery just kind of sticking in my brain. So I go home and one of the things I was doing as a kid, a lot of, I was just fascinated by animation. So I did a lot of uh, flip books of animation and i was also getting really interested in uh how movies were made and the idea of planning it all out in a storyboard which to me looked like a comic book um so you do a a storyboard for your movie like you do a comic book of it to to plan it out right so i take all of this uh stuff about the thing it's stuck in my brain and, and i think well I'd really like to see that movie, but I can't because it's restricted, and I'm only ten. Yeah, and uh, so I thought, well, why don't I make my own version of it? So what I did was I started making what I call the Thing children's version, based on all of the stuff I just told you. So I created my own version of the Thing in like flipbook slash storyboard slash comic book form, um, and it was like. I can't show you guys on the podcast, but I'm holding my fingers really wide apart for Ryan here. It was about this thick. <laughs> and the good news is I still have it somewhere. Oh, wow. And, uh, I really want to dig it out of the archives. And, uh, I wanted to put this to you as, as an idea. I will just throw this in as a bonus for everybody. Something maybe to look forward to. I want to dig it out. I'm pretty sure I know which box it's buried under. Um, digitize like scan the whole works in like stupid high resolution so be like the 4k version it'd be amazing from the original source elements and then uh basically edit it all together into some kind of coherent uh little animated movie um so i thought if don't, i if i do that do you want to do one of the voices
0: oh yeah definitely
1: all right as long as you don't
0: <laughs> dnr dnr and wipe all the grain <laughs> off of the oh no i won't
1: it's it's it looks so professional too because I, I drew some of them on like yellow lined paper using felt marker to do all the drawings
0: <laughs> it's it's so funny that you bring that up because like when i was younger i would we have you know how there was those things like they were like projectors but they weren't like an actual like projector it was like a a box that had a light in it and it had a mirror and you put a piece of paper under it okay. and it shines on the wall. Like, oh, whatever. yeah,
1: yeah. The, the, the overhead projector, it, it would have, like, yeah. there'd be like a, a, a flat bed. that would kind of, you'd lay the thing on, it would yeah. shine a light through it and it would like reflect it out through the thingy to. Yeah. I used to yeah. have those in school all the time for yeah, but, teachers. And so
0: it did that, but this was like something that was like the size of like, like the mash, box set it was like a box you could buy at like walmart oh and then you just put a light into light in it and you could actually like draw and put something on and so i would do a bunch of drawings and stuff like Mm. that and i didn't have a video camera so like i would draw scenarios and then like have my family go in the living room and put a sheet on the wall nice and, and like project it to it but yeah it's funny what we used to do when we were younger before oh yeah we got we got cameras and we started doing that kind
1: of stuff yeah i i did some other things along those lines too very similar to what you just described now i didn't we didn't have a projector like that um we did eventually get a super 8 film camera and a projector for that so i actually did actual stop motion animation with that Mm -hmm. uh for a little while um but one other thing i used to do was uh i'd make little quote unquote movies which would basically be like um uh The idea came from looking at some early like racing toys where you'd have kind of a loop of the track, like a literally like a printed on vinyl loop that would just cycle around and you'd move your little car back and forth and, you know, stuff like that. Um, So I had that idea. And so and another thing was uh, something some friends of mine were doing where they were doing kind of like a vertical scrolling shoot 'em up but by having <laughs> literally all of the background drawn on a big scroll of paper that they feed through slowly as you're moving your spaceship around. Oh, that's, that... that's incredible. I yeah. never I
0: never did that. That's so, pretty
1: awesome. So I did a few of those because I thought it was a really cool idea. I'm pretty sure I still have the rolls, like the actual scrolls for them. But the other thing I did was I thought, well, why does it just have to be games? Why couldn't I do sort of like a movie, like a silent movie like this? So, I remember one I made. I, st- I definitely still have this. I should absolutely find it and scan it for you. It was uh, It was like a cowboy movie where like Black Bart shows up, and you know, <laughs> you know John Lacey has to fight him in the street and <laughs> yeah, but the twist was instead of being actual guns, they were all using water pistols. So, <laughs> but I did it as a silent film. So I'd like it would, like, I'd scroll it sideways, right? Mm-hmm. And it would, like, slide over to the next thing. I'd stop there. That'd be the, the picture, of, you know, Black Bart's silhouette or something. And then slide it over to the next one, and it'd be, like, the words. Like, I'm looking for John Lacey. Yeah. And it'd slide over, and it'd be the next picture. You know, there's John Lacey. At the bar. Anyway, so, like that. So it was basically sort of a de facto silent movie. And... That's pretty incredible. See, if there's any doubt that Ryan and I love movies, look how desperate we were to just find any means necessary to make our own movies. (laughs)
0: Ryan, why are you sitting in the corner in your bedroom going like this with your hands? Uh, I'm making a movie. You don't even have a camera. I'm
1: desperate. I'm desperate, Dad. (laughs) You have no idea. So that was... uh, how I was introduced to the thing and how I, I later experienced it in my own very personal way, I guess, with making my own version of it, not being able to see the actual movie. So it wasn't until a couple of years later, when I was 12, that I finally saw the actual movie. Um, I had a friend over for a sleepover, and uh, I suggested that uh, you know we watch the thing. I don't think I had... S- no, I hadn't seen it yet. I'd, I'd seen the trailer because mm-hmm. uh, my parents had pay tv in canada it was brand new at the time and uh so this would have been 1984 i guess and uh so my mom was just going crazy recording anything and everything off of pay television She's like oh my god movies without commercials because she was so used to recording things off network television and she'd like be just annoyed by having to cut the commercials and stuff like that but um and then she would always cut out when they would talk over the credits. She hated hearing the guy talking over the music. Uh, so would be yeah. like a chunk of credits missing in every, every one yeah. of her recordings. But uh, So anyway, they recorded the thing. And um, I can't remember if we all... I think we all watched it together. Yeah, my mom and dad were on the... We watched it in my parents' bedroom. So <laughs> <laughs> my mom and dad were on the couch or on the bed. And my friend and I were on the floor in front of the TV. And uh suggested that we watch the thing. Uh so I was like, okay, cool, I've been wanting to see this for a long time. So that was when I I saw it for the first time, was at the sleepover. And sounds like a
0: very uplifting evening. It's like, you know, let's just watch a great uplifting film that'll (laughs) just
1: I have to say, it scared the absolute shit out of me. Like I was not (laughs) expecting anything like what I saw. I think by that point I might have heard a little bit more about it, so I knew there was like a shape shifting aspect. But I didn't. I'd, I hadn't seen any of the creatures and anything, so I was going in pretty cold, as well. But I was twelve.
0: <laughs> You're going in pretty cold. No pun intended.
1: Very cold, and um, yeah. And then I had trouble sleeping. My friend and I are like chatting, and and I, and he's like, "What's wrong?" He's like, "I'm scared." It's like why? It's like, I was thinking about the movie. It's like, oh, (laughs) my friend, my friend was 13. So he was like, you know, so much more mature than me. Yeah. (laughs) He could almost drive. I know. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So that was my, my first experience with the thing on, you know, low fidelity EP off air VHS from Canadian pay television in 1984. Uh, and full frame, It wasn't until quite some time later, in probably about 10 years later, uh, when I was buying Laserdisc, that uh, I picked up the widescreen Laserdisc of the thing. And oh my God, seeing it in widescreen for the first time was like a revelation. I was like, you can actually see everything now. Because when you see that thing cropped in full, that thing cropped Mm -hmm. in full frame, you lose so, so much image, especially with, because, I mean, they have pretty extreme close-ups on the creature itself, um, you know, to get right up in your face and up close and personal. So when you're seeing that with literally half the image chopped off to fill a 4 by 3 frame. You, you Half the time, you don't even know what the hell you're looking at. So yeah. Just seeing it in widescreen for the first time, is like, holy shit, I feel like I'm seeing it for the first time. You know, there's just so much that I've never seen before.
0: <laughs> it's, it kind of reminds me of like, because like, I grew up loving The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and it was like one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies Great on VHS. Movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Same. And then when I first saw the DVD mm-hmm. with the, the widescreen, I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. This is insane. Like, this is so, like, when you finally see the oh. movie the way it was meant to be seen, not the
1: way oh, the wait. studio's
0: want you to see it yeah
1: well i mean you talk about sergio leone uh, when you talk about cinematography and how to frame a shot and every frame of painting like holy shit that guy knew knew how to shoot a western (laughs) so do you still have that laser disc of the thing i do not sadly so that was uh yes i bought that one it's just bare bones movie widescreen but then they put out the Signature Edition. This one I actually wish I still did have, just because it was really nice. Now, that said, content-wise, I'm not missing anything because the contents of the Signature Edition became the standard package of contents for pretty much every release of the thing since. So everything that was on that is on the DVD, it's on most Mm -hmm. of the Blu-rays, and, you know, so I'm not missing anything. What I am missing is the beautiful... Um, gatefold cover and just the, you know, the nice physicality of it. Laserdisc deluxe editions are always just a thing of beauty. I still do have a few, a few of the big notable ones, but sadly that isn't one of the ones I kept. But, um, but yeah, so that one was fantastic because for the first time ever, we had a behind the scenes documentary. There had never been anything anywhere ever. Maybe in some, like, Cinemagic magazines or Cinefax magazines, they probably did an issue about it. But beyond that kind of obscurity, um, there had never been a documentary about the thing. So that Laserdisc set, and I think the DVD version of it came out around the same time, maybe a year or two later, um, was the debut of the documentary Terror Takes Shape the 80-minute-long behind-the-scenes yeah. documentary, which is amazing, because sadly, a lot of the cast is no longer with us, just since that yeah. was shot, but they got pretty much everybody in. You had Wilfred Brimley, you had uh, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, uh, Richard Mazur, um, Keith David, just everybody. The whole freaking cast was there. And it they always s-
0: kind of blew me away how that movie, like, they're, like, in hindsight, like, after I eventually saw it and, like, looking back and trying to find... There really isn't a lot of ton of behind-the-scenes stuff. No, there like, isn't. I mean, there, there, there's, like, some, you know, documentary-type stuff now, and there's some pictures now, but, like... Sure. It's probably because they were... You know, the, the filming was just so, like... It's like when they talk about how it was... When it was filmed, it was, like... It was really cold, and, like they kind of experienced a lot of that stuff. It's like yeah. they didn't have time to have somebody right there taking pictures.
1: Yeah. Well, there was that, and it was also, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, Carpenter's mandate that he didn't want uh, any like too much behind-the-scenes stuff because he wanted to kind of, I guess, preserve the mystery and whatnot. So he was like, in terms of promotional materials, you're only allowed to use actual frames from the movie and stuff yeah. like that because we don't want you knowing how we did everything. Which, uh, which I think, just really added to the mystique of it for so long, because as you say, there's just not a lot behind the scenes stuff out there until that documentary came about. And I, I must have watched that documentary like six times. Like it was like, oh my god, this is like everything I've ever wanted to know about this movie, um, and like, oh my god, there's Rob Bottin, and he's every bit as much a madman as I thought he was since I was ten. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I first watched that documentary on the s- Scream Factory set. Ah, yes. um, and I was like, man. Like, and I don't think I'll ever watch the movie again with it. Like, I think every time I watch
1: the movie, I'll watch that, like, right after. Just, I feel like I did that for a while, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's just so fascinating. Um, I also, by the way, speaking just while we're sort of on the subject of those, um, I highly recommend you pick up the DVD edition as well if you don't already still have it. Um, Because the commentary track that is now the standard commentary track. Um, and the only one that's on any of the Blu-rays is censored.
0: Yeah, I actually have the uncensored commentary oh. on an old
1: DVD. Oh, okay, good. Not
0: want to get. I did not want to get rid of that. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, it's not that there's a huge difference. Just some of the censorship is stupid. I think, like, they cut out all the sounds of them smoking and like yeah. exhaling smoke or whatever. It's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, even if
0: I never like listen to that, it's kind of like yeah. with Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like. Yeah. The, the original dvd had a commentary track with like john hughes but every release yes. since hasn't had it i know
1: that's why i and, made uh, sure
0: to keep that one <laughs> and so i just keep that one it's just even if i never listen to it i'm like well if i ever want to i can go you and have it well it's it. kind
1: of that one's kind of special cause i don't think he did any other commentaries he's not that I'm, I'm aware of so um it's definitely a treasure to have the man himself talking about some of his work you know yeah, but uh, but yeah, that that commentary originated on the laserdisc, the Signature Edition laserdisc. So, you can imagine what a treat that was for someone who had been this had just been such an enigma for when was that ninety five that came out. So for like thirteen years, just this enigma of what's the story of behind the making of this movie. And then to get this documentary, which is amazing, and then to get this full-length commentary with with Carpenter and Russell, like, oh, my God, anytime you can get those two in a room together, please do. So entertaining. But, um, uh, yeah, so it was just just a freaking revelation. Um, And then I've had pretty much every Blu-ray release since because there's been problems with each of them uh, in some way. There's the original Universal release, which had kind of a DNRE transfer, so not all that great. Uh, also, the aforementioned documentary was not available on the Blu-ray to just watch on its own. It was only available to watch as a picture-in-picture feature, and in those pictures, <laughs> while you're watching the movie— And it didn't even include all of the documentary. It just included the (laughs) stuff they could, like, tie directly into certain scenes. And it's like, oh, my God, what a mess. So one of my viewers sent me the region-free UK Blu-ray release, which finally had the the documentary in full, unaltered form. You could just watch it on its own. Um, But it was the same crappy transfer of the film. So then, years later, Scream Factory puts out their edition. And I'm like, finally, we're going to get a decent transfer of the movie. I'd seen some shots. like, okay, that looks looks good but it looks a little pink in the red light scenes like what's they put like this blue tint over everything it's like what the fuck man don't mess with dean cundy's art so anyway then scream then arrow video put out their edition and they just said fuck that we can do better so they did their own 4k transfer which was now considered so good that the following year, Scream Factory got the rights to put that transfer in as a third disc uh, of the the Steelbook edition. like as a bonus disc in the Steelbook edition. Oh, so Scream, yeah, I so Scream Factory. I still just have
0: my Scream Factory
1: one. So Scream Factory got Arrow's transfer for their re-release of the Scream Factory edition. Even they were like, "Yep, this is better." <laughs> it
0: was. Well, I guess. I guess that means I need to get my. Um get get the arrow
1: edition get the arrow edition yeah um now the arrow edition is region b locked i guess because there's so many re- uh, you know uh domestic releases of it over here so they've got the rights tied up and they can't do a worldwide release of it, which is a shame because um uh the collector's edition like the limited edition version of the thing that they did is freaking amazing it has you know well you know what the arrow special edition sets are like it's got the the big thick book full of just fascinating writing about the film um it's got the new 4k transfer and just butt loads of extras that are not on any other release it's because arrow does their own shit but uh it's amazing so get that one if you can because it's definitely worth having um, I don't know how available it is now. At the very least, you can get the. Uh, you have two options. You can get the. Um, um, uh, the the like non limit like the standard arrow release, mm-hmm. uh, or you can get the Screen Factory Steelbook edition if you can find it by this point. Uh, or I'm pretty sure the 4K release that came out recently, the actual 4K release is mm-hmm. the same transfer again, just in full 4K. So. Yeah, go. I'll have to do some research on that. Yeah. I definitely I would love I want to, to have pick, it. Yeah, I want to pick up the 4K. It's the only sort of significant release I don't have. But uh, Yeah, so that was basically sort of my my experience with the thing across all, well, first time I saw it and then of, cor- of course across all the various forms of media and the reasons why I kept repurchasing every single high-def version yeah. that came out. <laughs> For long so of- in a
0: in a, in a way, I kind of have the, the the opposite story that you do. Oh, Sorry, really? I cut you off. You're, you're about to say, for the longest.
1: I've already forgotten. For the longest oh. <laughs> time, I wished I was a baseball. Anyway, what? Um...
0: For the longest time.
1: <laughs> hey, I od- don't own the rights to that. Oddly, <laughs> oddly, I tried to remember, but I'm pretty sure I never actually owned it on VHS. Oh, wow. I went straight from mom's pay TV recording to widescreen Laserdisc. So that's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So though, I always knew of the thing basically because at such a young age, I saw Halloween Mm, and Halloween has, you know, on the TV, they're watching Howard Hawks, the thing from another world. The original.
1: Yeah. 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 Of course.
0: And for some reason, like, the the opening, even though the movie was called A Thing from Another World, mm-hmm. in Halloween, when it shows that title, mm-hmm. it just shows the thing. And, right. like, that font and everything just kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so when I'd see it at Blockbuster and stuff, I'd be like, wait, is that the movie they were watching? Oh, wait, no, this is actually... Re- oh wait, this is directed by the same guy who did Halloween. Uh, oh what? okay.
1: Oh, you made in, like all these jump like, yeah connections. Yeah, I'm, like yeah. in the middle of a blockbuster. Oh, with, oh wait. With, oh wait. Oh wait. Oh <laughs>
0: wait. The, the cameras going around me and like <laughs> like all the lights start going off Michael and like it's style. Just, yeah and <laughs> yeah it just comes from yeah it comes from the side. Do you need help, <laughs> sir? No, I'm just dreaming. And uh... um, we. I mean, I walked by it so many times, and I just—I never got my hands on it. A lot of it, too, because I was probably way too young to see it. And I'm sure my parents had seen it, and they were like, Mm. "He is definitely not. We don't. If he watches that, he's going to be dissecting dogs and insects (laughs) until he's an adult.
1: So wait how how old were you when you saw Halloween?
0: Six or seven?
1: Oh, jeez wait wait. actually and... actually i
0: think seven seven i know i was in however old i was in second grade seven. you
1: saw halloween when you were seven wow that's yeah crazy
0: i saw like i i saw day of the dead for the first time right after i saw halloween <laughs> and so as like a seven year old i was like
1: that's the best gore effects i've ever seen wow so you're like and, already right into this sort of and as
0: a 35 year old i'm still saying yeah, that's still some of the best gore I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's I go accurate. back in time and hang out with like I think I'd I'd like to hang out with young Ryan watching yeah. those movies for the first time.
1: That would be fun to be able to hang out with younger you and like yeah. introduce younger you to all the things that older you loves now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, like
0: younger maybe like you're I can't wait to get older and become a film director and win an Oscar by twenty.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna look at him and
0: be like. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That was great. To Let me just give
0: you this one thing to say. Just when I was your age, <laughs> get health insurance. That's what you're going to be worried about. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I saw the thing for the first time down the road when the DVD came out because finally I was oh, like, man. man how how have I I had seen the fog yeah i'd seen like every other john carpenter movie but the thing always like it just it was that <laughs> that really obnoxious it's kind of like how for a long time luke didn't see like lawrence arabia oh. like <laughs> and so i was so, so like,
1: happy to finally rectify that yeah and surprise and the, surprise he loved it <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like we both knew he would <laughs> yeah
0: and that's kind of how it was with me um with the thing like so when i finally saw it i watched it yeah on dvd late at night perfect it was very very cold i think it was winter and like we don't really um i've never really been a big heater guy so like i never have my heater on or anything so yeah. it's just frigid uh, and like I, the arctic excellent yeah and I, I felt right in like nice um and i just really what got me was just the the cinematography but then the practical effects it's like yeah. every once the creature well even though technically we don't even know what the
1: creature actually looks like in its no. own form or even if it but, has its own form, yeah you know yeah yeah um i blob of cells you know <laughs> yeah
0: and i remember just being like "Ooh, this first of all the dog scene is like one of the most chilling like mm-hmm. scenes in any movie and it's well, still like, it's incredible. Well, me. I think
1: you and I probably had a very similar reaction to that because neither of us knew anything about the nature of the creature going in, and yeah. that dog scene for the first time, like, it's definitely a what the fuck kind yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: you're, it's like wow, is he is that dog having a seizure? No, he is not sick. <laughs> oh my god.
1: And uh, I'm not sure what he is. <laughs>
0: yeah but he's pissed off Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and uh but then every time we saw the creature anytime after that it was in a completely different form so like yeah exactly the story was amazing Mm. it looked amazing yeah and then every time you saw the creature in some way shape or form it looked different and insanely like yeah amazing practical effects like still oh yeah i cannot believe i cannot believe they pulled that off like oh even even though that they did but
1: yeah it's uh well that's yeah i mean that's almost the whole other discussion maybe we'll save that for a later uh installment but <laughs> but the long and the short of it being um yeah i mean rob rob patin almost killed himself doing the practical effects for those um he was just so didn't, didn't he literally
0: like literally almost kill himself he like, did not not yeah. not suicide well no, but... no,
1: no no like just from exhaustion Uh, He just ran himself so ragged, and he was actually sleeping on the set, and there was a day when uh, John came in and saw the state of him, it's like, I think you should go to the hospital. He's like, "Yeah, okay. (laughs) So he goes to the hospital, gets checked out, and he's fine. So what he ended up doing was, um, I mean, there's a lot of creature effects in it, like just a ridiculous amount. But uh, he called in Stan Winston to help ease the load. Yeah, so it was actually uh, the creature you and I have been talking about a lot tonight, the dog creature, that's actually Stan. That was a that was a Stan oh, Winston uh, magnum opus. Like, that was just, it was crazy. Um, and uh, he he talks about that in the documentary in Terror Takes because he, he was s- still with us when they did the, the documentary. And uh, he talks about how they came up with the idea, and he said how if you look at it, it's kind of like a human form, where it's like, the, hand, like the dog head that comes out is kind of mm-hmm. like an arm reaching up and out and then the, the mass behind it is kind of like a body like a torso and so he liked the idea of kind of taking these human forms but mangling them so it was like something that was uh, unsettlingly familiar in how you look at it and how your brain kind of registers it but it's like it's familiar but it doesn't look right and it's it's just you know it's so he was like right into that stuff like people just thinking oh Stan Winston creature guy yeah yeah but he also understood like the psychology of fear like yeah. he brought that philosophy to his creature creation. I mean, you create these wonderful characters but also really knew how to tap into what the director was going for as far as what he wanted you the audience to convey so I and mean, then he th- then he threw in a little part to make it Let's make him look like a flower
0: really quick. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know what the flower is made of? What? Teeth and dog tongues. So it's, it's actually more dog stuff happening in, in ways that it shouldn't. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> yeah. So it, everybody thinks it's just a flower. Uh, but they said, yeah, no, look closely at that flower. Cause it's not a flower. <laughs> well, it's, next time I see that, I'm definitely gonna. You're gonna. Well, you yeah, never gonna unsee not... it now. But it's you're gonna see it like instantly now. You sort of know to look for that. But that that's that's the thing about the thing is, as you say, um, it wasn't just a guy in a suit stomped around going "rar." <laughs> this was this was a creature like it. it you get so bombarded with the the uh, the lack of a coherent form. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, again, just to use the same example, the dog creature is a perfect example of that because the form keeps changing. It keeps changing mm-hmm. and splitting and changing. It's like, okay, where's the part where it's trying to turn into a dog? I just see it like using dog parts to make a more mm-hmm. horrifying Lovecraft-esque monstrosity. <laughs> you know? Um, and it just like, you get bombarded with so much that, there comes a point where, I, I it's literally like you start out saying, "Oh, that's a cool practical effect." Oh, that's a cool practical effect, huh? What the fuck is going on? Wait a minute, that doesn't quite compute. What? And it, it just there. There comes a point where the brain just switches off, and you just accept the reality of it, and because your brain is so freaking confused trying to make mm-hmm. any sense out of it because nothing there's these there's these familiar forms that your brain kind of processes but it's doing things that it shouldn't be doing that don't make sense that are illogical mm-hmm. and it just keeps going and going and going until finally they blast the damn thing and set it on mm-hmm. fire so your brain can recover um
0: it makes us actually kind of feel like we're characters in the movie too because it does. we're we're yeah. like paranoid because we were like wait what is the where is it going to be next like who is it
1: yeah who is it what is i mean it could be one it could still be one of the dogs you know like Mm -hmm. if you check the dogs but uh you know um yeah it's that it it definitely does and that also gets back to like how it was shot Well, we were praising the the sort of staging and shooting and stuff um and that was something i wanted to add back then but i'll just throw it in now um was it does make you feel like you're you're there it doesn't it, there comes a point where it kind of breaks the wall and it's like you're, you're not sitting there watching a movie anymore you are one of them there in yeah. that situation you know and that to me is like the best kinds of movies and I, and I feel like a lot of the directors I grew up were very good at that like I remember uh as a kid watching a uh, Steven Spielberg or George Lucas film, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, mm-hmm. or any of Spielberg's stuff. Um, that it very quickly drew me in. And I felt like th- there was just, there was something about those movies where there, the Spielberg ones in particular, where they'd be an extra level to the caliber of acting that we were getting from everybody in yeah. the movies. Um, and also the stories were always kind of you know, fun and whimsical and scary in all the right ways. But I remember describing it to my parents uh, as as a kid, probably about twelve. I said, "Yeah, with those movies, I don't feel like I'm watching a movie." Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, as that's something pretty deep for a kid to say. (laughs) I was thinking back to that. I was like, "Yeah, those with those movies, I don't feel like I'm watching a movie." And And when uh,
0: directors are good at it, that's why it's so like crazy and terrible whenever you're watching like for instance like spielberg makes you feel like that so it makes it worse yeah. when you see schindler's list uh, like or yeah. like the serious movies because you're yeah, literally it's true there mm-hmm. it's not a movie it's not a it's i mean a, jaws you were, like you're on the boat you're on yeah. the boat with them
1: in jaws that's right yeah you're trying not to get your lower half bitten off
0: <laughs> yeah i mean in temple of doom you're trying not to get your heart ripped out that's um, right. Yeah, you're like
1: pull. You you're put. You find yourself pulling away when he's doing yeah. the ma Like you're kind of backing yeah. into your chair. Like, <laughs> you you, t-
0: you, you want to tell Willie to shut up and yeah. stop screaming. <laughs> That's right.
1: And to remind her to call him Doctor Jones. Yeah. <laughs> so, in short, round isn't around.
0: Doctor Jones.
1: You call him Doctor Jones.
0: So yeah, that's what I that's what I love about those those kind of um, directors too. Yeah, and I think John Carpenter is one of those directors I think so too.
1: Yeah,
0: even I mean, you could take away the POV shot of, out of Halloween; like, mm-hmm. none of that feels like a set. I mean, no. I, I mean, the fog—you feel like you're in an actual little town. Yeah, maybe um,
1: ball on the radio. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, uh, um you feel like you're there with Tom Atkins when he's trying to seduce women randomly and, uh, <laughs> in, Halloween and every, three. in Halloween 3 and Halloween 3 and trying to get Jamie Lee Curtis in the fog and
1: well you know he's uh, uh he's a very handsome man
0: it's that it's that mustache
1: <laughs> it's all it'll, about the mustache
0: it'll get you every time
1: the thing i first remember seeing Tom Atkins in was creep show where he plays the asshole oh, father yeah. in the bookend segments, and so doesn't want his kid reading, and I quote, "That comic book crap." <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna uh. read this comic book crap in my house. <laughs> so he was that angry father guy to me. So I started seeing him in other things like uh, Night of the Creeps and um, Lethal uh, Weapon, Halloween Three, and Lethal Weapon all. That. I, I saw him in a very different light, and and he very quickly became a favorite uh, genre actor of mine. But uh, yeah, I, and now cool. I just laugh every time I see, see Creep show because I see it mm-hmm. in a completely different light now. <laughs> That's
0: uh, I I just laugh every time I see him because I always think of Halloween or Halloween three when yeah it's like they're in the hotel room and he's like, <laughs> you know what? Before we do it. Look, Let's just go ahead and sleep together. Like randomly. He's like pretty much, yeah. And that's Mojo Atkins.
1: It's like, so sorry about your father dying and all, and that (laughs) being the whole reason we're here in this town in the first place. So wanna do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I kinda that'd be hilarious if he was in the thing. Where where's he at? (laughs) Well, there's no female, so who knows? Thrill me. Yeah. <laughs> but, so um, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up this first, this first episode. Went yeah, off on um, some
1: good random tangents there, but I, I think we pretty much covered the origins of our uh, experience with the movie and also the origins of our collecting the movie on various forms over the years. 100%. We, yeah. we
0: basically just talked about our own prequel. And so... Pretty much,
1: (laughs) and our own things that uh, um, you know, little moments and whatnot that we liked about the movie, just to give you a taste. But there's, I mean, we covered like what two scenes tonight? Yeah, yeah. I think we got a a few more episodes in us. There's still quite a lot to cover with the. Oh yeah, this is just this is just. We haven't even really talked about the movie itself much. Just a few little tantalizing tidbits, some morsels, tantalizing tidbits. That should be the. That should be the title of the first episode. The thing
0: tantalizing, tantalizing tidbits of the thing (laughs) in parentheses, Tom Atkins,
1: (laughs) (laughs) the thing starring Tom Atkins. You know that one, right?
0: (laughs) His thing. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, Sean, thank you so much for doing this uh, series with me. Absolutely. I have a feeling this this is going to be a lot of fun to do. It'll be a fun thing to kind of look back on too, and hopefully introduce some people into the to the movie and people that may not really care for it. Maybe they can go back and reevaluate it. Oh yeah, who knows? I'm big on reevaluating. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's good to revisit. But most likely, it's going to be people like you and me who listen to this and they're like, "Man, I love that movie so much." And so,
1: (laughs) so there will be at least two views or yes. namely uh, each other <laughs> probably four because
0: i will i will re-listen to it twice I, there you on go. other accounts not perfect, perfect. <laughs> oh god my sock oh, my, so-
1: my sock puppet army is on standby yeah <laughs>
0: all right well thanks again sean and everybody i will see you guys no i'm not see I'm still saying that. I'm so used to doing a video that I keep saying I'll see you, and people are probably looking at their phones or computers, going, "What? What?" In their mind's eye. Do you have a camera <laughs> on on my computer? Totally. That's a whole nother episode.
1: That's, that's <laughs> yeah. maybe a different series. <laughs> yeah. That could be. Yeah. Ryan's so everybody, really thank you so much obsessions. for. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for
0: listening to Ryan's creepy obsessions. And I will see you guys in the next episode later sayonara